It's not just time to get away. It's time to travel with Anita. From around the world to across Georgia, she covers it all. Now, here's the host of Travel with Anita, Anita Thomas. Hello, 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 and welcome aboard Travel with Anita and Friends. American history is our history. It tells the story of lives of people who have made our country the best place in the world to live. And my podcast, Quarter Mouse Travel, is all about American history. And that history that is featured on the back, or we sometimes call it the tail side, of the U.S. Mint Quarters. My podcast recently won a very prestigious award, the Low Thomas Travel Journalism Award. And today, I'd like to share clips from the podcast that actually won the Bronze Award. And on my website, travelwithanita.com, you can hear the whole show. I talk with Kate, who is with the Jamestown Settlement Museum in Yorktown, Virginia. She helps me share this story. Here's the show. It's called Virginia's First Women, and it's all about the history of the first women of America. You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like air, I'll rise. Maya Angelou. Who were the first women who left England and traveled across the Atlantic to settle in Virginia? Who were the women who helped the men and boys arriving in 1607 to Jamestown? Who were the women captured from their homeland, brought across the Atlantic in ships, traded and enslaved? Who were they, you ask? They were strong, they were adventurous, brave and courageous, and most of all, they were tenacious. In part two of the Virginia Quarter, I share stories of Virginia women and their journey to overcome obstacles, oppressive laws, enslavement, and make their impression on history. They are American women. They helped build this nation. We will tell their stories and we will say their names. In part one of the Virginia State Quarter, I shared the stories of the three ships, the Susan Constant, Godspeed, and Discovery, featured on the reverse side of the quarter. The ships came over on charter from the Virginia Company of London in 1607 with only boys and men, gentlemen at that. They were seeking commerce, goods and products to take back to England. It wasn't until over a year later in 1608 when approximately 90 single women arrived in Jamestown. It was clear that the intention of the settlement was changing. There was more of a sense of permanence to the colony. Sir Edward Sandys, treasurer of the Virginia Company, stated that the plantation can never flourish till families be planted and the respect of wives and children fix the people on the soil. I'm Anita Thomas, host of Quarter Miles Travel, and on this podcast, part two of the Virginia State Quarter, I share the trials, tribulations, joys, and successes of first women of the settlement that would become America. I talked with my friends at the Jamestown Settlement and American Revolution Museum to share these important stories. Catherine K. Gruber, historian and curator at Yorktown Jamestown Foundation, 
curated a very influential exhibit at the Jamestown Settlement and American Revolution Museum called Tenacity, the perfect name to summarize the lives and stories of these women. Kate stated, our goal was simply to speak the names of the women who have been for so long written out of traditional narratives, to give them a voice to tell their stories, to reinsert women, Virginia Indians, African, and English, into their rightful place in history. This podcast will bring their stories and lives here to be explored, to be seen, to be heard, and interpreted into our views of not only 17th century women, but our lives today. Kate's stories will show you that the common humanity that we share and are connected to continues through the 400 years that separate us. In 1607, we have um, 400 English men and boys who arrive um, in the land that they will call Virginia. And they are the first, um, what's going to be the first permanent English settlement in um, in North America. Um, so this is, you know, years before the Plymouth colony. But the important thing is, is that those three ships that you see on the back of that corner um, they don't carry any women. Mm. They don't carry any English women with them. Um, but when those three ships do arrive here um, at Jamestown, um, those English men and boys uh, do very quickly start interacting with women who are here. And those are uh, women uh, who are uh, Virginia Indian. They are uh, uh, Powhatan women. It's funny, we, we think a lot about the first women in Virginia, but people always forget there are already women here. There just weren't English women here. Um, you know, but right off the bat, we have um, both in the documentary record, the primary source record, um, evidence of the English men and boys interacting with, trading with um, Powhatan women. And we also see it archeologically. Um, so when the first English men and boys arrive, they build a fort on Jamestown Island. And we see evidence inside the fort of, um, of, of pots, pottery, of mussel-shelled beads. Um, and these pieces of material culture in the archaeological record are significant because they tell us that women, Powhatan women, were in the fort. Um, it's... Uh, you've probably all, you know, you've you've heard Pocahontas, you know who that is. She is the favored daughter of the Paramount Chief Powhatan. Um, as a young girl, she's coming into the fort with other women and girls to, to give food to the English men and boys who are here. And those foodstuffs are coming in in pots, in in uh, baskets and things like that, that the women are responsible for making. Um, and so to see evidence of, of that in the archaeological record tells us that there were um, Powhatan women in the fort interacting with the English there. Um, and must, you know, making mussel shell beads, um, beads out of, out of mussel shells, um, that was a very gendered task. Women were the ones responsible for making that. So to see these production centers of those beads within the fort um, we can use that as corroborating evidence that there are there are women there. Would they have been receiving anything? Because usually I tend to think of trading. So mm -hmm. if they were bringing food, were they receiving anything in exchange? Or was yeah. this a welcome where we see that these people need something, so we are going to help? 
the presence of the Powhatan women within the fort was a very calculated decision, I think, from the uh, Paramount Chief Powhatan, where I think that he his goal was to, you know, understanding that there were no English women um, that first year, the Powhatan women's presence in the fort was very much a way of kind of um, bringing those Englishmen kind of underneath the, um, you know, not, I don't want to say subjugation, but, you know, kind of within the um, circle, so to speak. The, yeah, exactly. So he knows what he's doing by, you know, encouraging the women to go into the fort. I'll stop here for a break. And when I come back, Kate continues with stories of the early Jamestown settlement. Back in a minute here on Travel with Anita and Friends. life like in the first settlement in Virginia? What did the English bring and what did they depend on the native people for? Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. And I talk with Kate from the Jamestown Settlement Museum in Yorktown, Virginia. She shares these answers and more on the award-winning podcast, Quarter Mouse Travel, and the show, The First Women of Virginia. The early years of the settlement here, uh, not known so much for planning or for success or for a lot of um, um, a lot of planting. You know, we think of the earliest years of the settlement at Jamestown as being one that's very driven by um, by economics, by searching for raw materials like gold, by um, by harvesting materials from the land here to send back so that this could be a profit-making venture for a lot of people back in England. So um, the men and boys who are originally here, they think that, you know, other than planting a few crops or, um, you know, hunting some game, you know, what they really want to do is they want to rely on the Powhatan to subsidize a lot of what they don't plan for. And so they're very eager to have that exchange back and forth. Mm -hmm. But what are the Powhatan women getting from that relationship? Um, you know, remember the English are bringing with them a lot of weapons yeah. that the Powhatan would not have had access to. Um, and also copper. Copper becomes a very important um, trade good mm -hmm. um, and the English are bringing more copper into the uh, Virginia Indian communities. Um, and that's something that we know is, is a trade item as well. I mean, what are some of the things though that the English would have brought over with them? Uh, because I'm thinking they really didn't know what they were getting themselves into. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. But at the same time, you got to remember that the vast majority of the, um, of the original, um, colonists who come over in 1607, these are pretty well-to-do, these are gentlemen, they're listed on the roster yeah. as gentlemen. So, you know, it is a, it is originally meant to be a kind of a, a, a military expedition. It is a profit-finding expedition, but these are gentlemen that are coming over. So, um, you know, it's, and it's going to be a little bit later 
um, within the 16, the 16 teens where even more um, English colonists are arriving. And that's when we do have women and children coming over as well, but they are bringing with them um, items that are specifically going to be for the trade with the Powhatan Indians. Um, and we know that something that was particularly um, desirable um, that we know of through what happens with Pocahontas and her story um, is actually copper and specifically a copper kettle. Um, Pocahontas is actually um, kidnapped um, and uh, taken on board an English ship and she is um, you know more or less given up um, by um, by other Virginia Indians and the, the price for, for that is actually a copper kettle. Wow, that's, yeah. That, that just kind of silences you for a moment. It does because you, you know, so much of, of what we were trying to accomplish with the Tenacity exhibit, which was the exhibition that we did here at Jamestown Settlement that, um, that told stories of women in uh, Jamestown and early Virginia, a running thread through that exhibit was, you know, what is your life worth? Mm -hmm. um, because in this early era, um, you know, we think so much about um, this, I, this, I struggle with this coming out of my mouth, but women as property, women as commodities, women as something um, thankfully different than what we experience in our modern times today. Mm -hmm. And for a point in her life, um, unfortunately, Pocahontas was exchanged for a copper kettle. Um, other English women who were coming over, um, largely of their own volition, um, specifically to be um, to be brides mm -hmm. for the Englishmen who were here, the cost of them coming over would be 150 pounds of tobacco. There is a woman who. Um, who is taken captive by the Powhatan in 1622, who was ransomed back, an English woman who's ransomed back into her um, uh, English settlement. And the price for her ransom is two pounds of blue beads. And so, um, you know, you think about these items in your life that, you know, kind of translate to what you're worth. Um, and we were able to pull some of those stories out in that exhibit that we had here um, in the before times. Well, if you just think about a bracelet, something that you own, or, or a copper pot, or, you know, a plate, a porcelain, some of those things, you don't think of them as equaling to the value of, of anything that's live, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that, um, you know, of course, we can see this with the slave trade mm -hmm. in the, you know, in the, specifically in the 17th century. Um, here in our permanent gallery at Jamestown, we have on exhibit a, um, a group of um, items that are called manilas. And what these are, they are, um, I believe they're, they're brass, but they, they originated as, um, they almost look like bracelets. They almost look like I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a cuff bracelet today and they're shaped just like this. Yeah. But each one, um, you know, this, this was money. This had a monetary value. Mm -hmm. um, and slave traders, those involved in the slave trade in the 17th century in West Central Africa, um, paid for humans in bondage using these manilas. And so downstairs we have um, 
um, a display in our galleries of a large pile of these manilas. And we make the point that, you know, in the 17th century, there's a specific number of manilas in this pile and it's something like 200. This is the cost of a human being. That is, wow. And this is difficult, you know, this is a difficult conversation to even have here in 2021 mm-hmm. as we reckon with the, the less, less than romantic origins of our national story. I want to go back to the English woman that was uh, taken by the Powhatan Indians. What mm-hmm. would be the reason that that would have happened? And sort of what, what, what would have happened? How would that have all taken place? Sure. So um, it's actually part of the Anglo-Powhatan War. Um, March 20, it's March 22nd, 1622. And... Um, the uh, chief of the Powhatan at that time, Opie Kankano, is um, has instructed, um, you know, his warriors that, you know, on this specific day, no matter where you are, you know, you're to, you know, walk into English settlements up and down the James River here in uh, in Virginia, and and attack. Um, again, this is part of the um, part of a longer, a much longer story. Mm-hmm. of um, Anglo-Powhatan relations in the early part of the 17th century. But this but this comes to head on uh, March 22nd, 1622. She is living at a place uh, called Martin's Hundred, which is a settlement off of the James River that is hit particularly hard um, on this specific day. And there are over a dozen women that are taken captive. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, she yeah, so she's one of over a dozen women okay, who okay. who were taken captive that day. Some of them um, are eventually ransomed back from the Powhatan um, back into um, back to their English communities. Stories of the women who have contributed to our country are filled with details that might be hard for us to understand or to to hear. The stories of hard work, and in many cases, the stories are really hard not only to hear, but also to tell. However, you know, they are American stories, the ones that built our country. I'll stop here, but when we come back, I'll continue the conversation with Kate. She tells us more about one woman's story of coming to the new land and being captured. Back in a few moments, you're on Travel with Anita and Friends. from one woman's story, one that will help us understand our own history. The story of Ann Jackson tells the story of some of the first women in Virginia. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. The Jamestown Settlement Museum in Yorktown, Virginia, it is filled with many stories of the birth of our nation, stories of the brave, the determined, and those who sacrifice not only their comfort and ease of life, but also their freedom. A woman named um, Ann Jackson. 
she had arrived from England as part of a shipment of um, 56 women who came over the year before in 1620 and 1621 specifically to be potential brides or brides for the Englishmen who who were here. Um, and so she arrived probably, um, you know, she she arrived probably late 1621 with another group of women. And she was specifically, you can see on the um, on the records of um, uh, records that exist um, at the University of Cambridge, you can see her name on on this list of women. And it says specifically that her and others were to to go to Martin's Hundred. And so she had probably only, you know, been here since maybe December of 1621. Mm-hmm. And here it is March of 1622. And, you know, she's barely had time to kind of transition into her new life before she is taken captive. And we find out about this because many years later, um, towards the end of the 1620s, we see her name appear in a court case where the court um, at Jamestown has has ordered her brother to keep her safe until an arrangement can be made to send her back to England. But it but it calls her Anne Jackson, which lately had arrived from the Indian. Um, she's presumed dead for a long time, and then you know totally outside of the historic record. And then here she comes back in. Um, in like 1628, 1629, where, um, you know, it appears that she has been living with them, living with them for, you know, six, seven years. And why, you know, it really begs the question, why was her brother ordered to keep her safe? Mm. And why did she need to go back to England? And so, so here's what we assume that, oh my gosh, like she must've been treated terribly you know, she, she must be like emotionally and physically battered. You know, she was, you know, essentially a POW, right? Like, you know, so of course she probably wants to go back home to England. She's probably really, you know, again, kind of emotionally and physically um, struggling. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, so this woman that I told you was ransomed for two pounds of blue beads. Um, when she is ransomed, she is with the Powhatan for um, for something like two years. She comes back, and the gentleman who ransomed her forced her to work off the debt of the cost of the two pounds of beads that he had to give to bring her back into the colony. Well, she takes him to court, and she asks that she be released from this debt because he is treating her worse than she experienced in her captivity with the Powhatan. And so these two stories together, Jane Dickinson is the name of the woman who was ransomed for two pounds of bead. These two stories, Jane Dickinson and Ann Jackson, really give us pause when we're thinking about what these women would have endured with the Powhatan and what they were enduring just being a woman within this very gendered, you know, patriarchal society, even in this English colony in Virginia. Um, so again, these are difficult, complicated stories. And that's, of course, to say nothing of, of you know, um, 
we also have in this story Angelo, the name of the, you know, the, the first um, documented female African who arrived unfree, bound, enslaved in Virginia in 1619. She would have been very aware of what happened in 1622 because she, you know, and what had been happening with women like Anne and Jane, um, because Angelo um, was living on Jamestown Island at the time. Jamestown Island was was spared from, from what happened on March 22nd, 1622, but she would, I find it very difficult to believe that she wouldn't have been aware of what was going on. Jane Dickinson, who came back and said, you've got to release me from this because this is terrible. I mean, I, I wonder what Angelo would have, would have thought, would have thought. Now, and this makes me crazy that I don't know what she thought makes me crazy. And you're not taught to think about it in terms of these are real human experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think once you can make that change where you realize that all of the history that we're talking about, all of these women, all of those men that came, you know, um, on the ships in 1607, the, the, the Powhatan um, men and women who are, you know, who've been here, you know, um, ever. forever, like, these are real people. They are human lives playing out on a landscape and playing out within institutions just like we are today. And I think if you, you know, if you approach history removing that humanity and removing that empathy, man, you're missing out. Yeah. Yeah, Well, you're actually missing the whole story. And I I like to also think that they had four wives. I mean, their life may not have been perfect or it may not have been easy or they may have been enslaved or captives or whatever, you know, may have been the case for each individual person, but they had day-to-day lives it wasn't just, you know, one episode that happened here that you know about historically or another episode. You may know 10 episodes of someone's life, but they lived every day, just like how we do. Yep. Every yep. Day for 35, 40, 50, however many years they lived, they lived every day. That is such a great point. I mean, when we when we read about these moments mm-hmm. in someone's life or or find evidence. Um, you know, in the archaeological record of of a moment in someone's life, it's a snapshot. You know, and and you and you really have to put that in context of what you say. They they had full lives. They lived full lives. It's like something that that I try to um, you know to teach when I think about my job as a curator. That what I try to do is I try to bring the uh, the stuff of people's lives. I try to bring. Um, you know, your material, someone's material life um, into the story. But interestingly, think about what items survive from the past. Think about what items survive from your past. So I know I have my wedding dress at home. And, you know, if I do my job right, like that wedding dress will outlive me, you know, it, it will, it will last because it meant something to me. It was special. I spent more money on that dress than anything else that I own, Um, you know, but, but the, but the clothes that I wear every single day, you know, I won't have this next year. (laughs) So if someone is, is, is putting together an exhibition about Kate, you know, or if they found this wedding dress, does that give a full glimpse 
Mm-hmm. You know, a, a full picture of what my life was like, what my material life was like. Heck no. Mm-hmm. I am not, you know, I am in a t-shirt and, you know, a jeans right now. That's that's not my life. My wedding dress is not my life. And so I bring that up because I think that oftentimes we see these extraordinary materials and we have to remember they're special and they were kept for a reason. They were, you know, saved for posterity for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's a snapshot. It's one snapshot of someone's life. And I think you're right to bring that up about just, you know, humans themselves. Right. For again, you know, time and memoriam, the the interaction we have with each other. Exactly. Is just, it's a snapshot and you have to put that towards people in the past. Yeah. It is a snapshot. Just a few instances of someone's life, but it's those moments that turn into actions that make a huge difference. I'll stop here, and when we come back, I'll ask Kate to tell us more about the very first English woman who stepped onto what will become America. Back in a few minutes, you're on Travel with Anita and Friends. is it to speak the names of those who are instrumental in our history? Does saying their name give the historical event more value, knowing who had the courage to make a difference? Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. And today I've been sharing clips from my podcast, Quarter Mouse Travel, and the episode, The First Women of Virginia. I tell the stories of Native, English, and African women who shaped our country. And I spoke with Kate from the Jamestown Settlement Museum, located in Yorktown, Virginia. She has given us a very in-depth look into our history. And in this last segment, I asked her to tell us about the first women from England and the first women from Africa. Tell me then about the first women that arrived from England. Yes, Mistress Forrest and Ann Burris. Um, and this is such an interesting story. So Mistress Forrest, um, she comes over. So let me actually, let me back up. There are no English women in the Jamestown colony for a year. <laughs> so I really want to make that point that you have, you know, you 100, <laughs> 104 men and boys um, without, without an English woman. Now, of course, there are, there are Powhatan women, but, but there are no English women who are here until 1608. And two, only two come over. And one of them is already married. Mistress Forrest comes over um, probably to, to meet her husband who was already here. And she brings with her uh, her maid, a young 14 year old woman by the name of Anne Burris. Well, we were talking about, you know, the, the uh, primary source record, Mistress Forrest drops out. So we don't know how long she was in Jamestown. Um, you know, what happened to her when she got here, but she probably wasn't alive here very long because she completely drops out of the historic record. And shortly, shortly after their arrival, Anne Burris gets married. This is a 14-year-old girl who marries a 28-year-old man, a laborer um, who was working for the Virginia company, who, who was here that you you think that your life is going to be one way like me she probably had a massive amount of anxiety about you know 
coming over to Virginia, this might, you know, this might as well be the moon. You know? been her choice since she was the maid. Exactly. So she's, she's coming over to a place that she knows nothing about. And she's, it's just her. It's just her and, and Mistress Forrest. And then it's just her. You know, she's this 14-year-old woman and she, um, well, not even woman. She's a 14-year-old girl. And she, you know, gets married off to this 28-year-old man. And, but it is the first, um, the first English marriage to take place in Virginia. And then the two of them shortly thereafter have the first English child born in Virginia. And they name that daughter Virginia. So that's the story of the first two English women. And Anne Burris Layden is one who continues in the historic record for quite a while. Um, we know that she has at least four children. We know that she actually suffered a miscarriage here in Virginia um, in 1610. She uh, is put to work for the Virginia company and she's sewing shirts. Um, and this was at a period of time where the colony was under martial law. So everybody works for the good of the colony. And this martial law period, you know, really directed the lives of everyone who was in the colony, women and children not excluded from that. Anne and another woman are put to work sewing shirts. She runs out of thread to continue sewing. And so she starts to use pieces of the cloth. So she's pulling pieces of thread from the bottom of those shirts in order to continue sewing. Um, those shirts did not meet the length requirement set forth by the Virginia company. And so as a punishment, she's whipped and she's whipped so severely that that night she suffers a miscarriage. So I want to go back to Angelo, the, the African-American woman who comes over. So yeah. tell us a little bit about her and then also the next kind of group of African women that would have come over. Sure. So Angelo, we know by name because she appears on two documents um, that still exist in the National Archives in the United Kingdom. So she appears on a census record and a muster where we know she was living um, in the um, um, in the house um, of Captain William Pierce. We don't know much about her at all, unfortunately. Um, the The circumstance of her of her capture um, in West Central Africa, the circumstance of her um, traveling on um, the treasurer. You can read about what happens um, with the treasurer and the white lion, the, the attack of piracy that happens. She's originally bound for, uh, for Veracruz in uh, Mexico. And, and that's, a, that's a, a story that is still being researched by historians today. Um, but she does end up um, disembarking in Virginia and being traded for supplies. She is one of 20 and odd Africans that are uh, that disembark in Virginia, and she's the first woman that we know by name. In the documents that exist, she specifically called um, Angelo on the treasurer. So that's why we know that she was on that ship. Mm. Um, arrived on the treasurer, I believe, is the exact language of that document. So she she does end up in the uh, the Pierce household, um, which is uh, which is at Jamestown. So she does not experience the, um, the warfare that occurred in March of 1622. Um, and in fact, 
um, the documents that she appears on date to 1624, 1625. Yeah, we just, we don't know much about her situation. We don't know. So the documentary record, the historic record doesn't tell us. Um, we know that she was unfree. We know she was enslaved. We know that she was treated as property, but we don't know for how long. We don't know if she was eventually able to, um, uh, to be freed. To be married, to have children, we don't know any of that in the documentary record. It's and it's a tragedy that it's a tragedy that she, you know, was was kidnapped from her home and brought here. But it's also a tragedy that we don't know more about her and her experience. But there are there are other women um, um, of African descent who um, who are able to who are freed. Um, in Virginia, um, we we tell the story here of a woman named Elizabeth Key who is actually the, um, the daughter of an English born um, colonist mm -hmm. and, um, and an African, African American woman. The deal was, is that because she is the, the daughter of this union and because her mother was, uh, was enslaved, that she would, um, she would have her own term of, of enslavement, of servitude in, in Virginia. She ends up suing. She ends up bringing her case. Her her husband actually. She was able to um, uh, to marry um, a um, actually an English was a lawyer who was here in Virginia. So with his help, she's able to bring her case uh, to the court and say, "I was supposed to be freed a long time ago. You know, I'm petitioning for my freedom." And this goes back and forth. And it's not just her freedom, but the freedom of her son because her son was was enslaved as well. And this is the son that she has with this English colonist. This goes back and forth for quite a while in the court system. Um, and finally, she is awarded her freedom. But this is one of, I think, one of two cases that starts getting the Virginia Assembly thinking about, about how they are going to codify racial-based slavery. 1662, Virginia makes it a law that the status of the child is the status of the mother, thereby, you know, codifying this kind of self-perpetuating enslavement mm -hmm. through, you know, kind of a, ma a matrilineal process. And it's shortly thereafter that, too, that marriages like hers with her English husband, her husband's name was William, Virginia also makes makes mixed race marriages illegal. That law does not get overturned until the Loving case goes to the Supreme Court in the 1960s. So that is how long we're having these conversations. When I, you know, when we we first started speaking about our modern, um, you know, current events very much being legacies of the history that we're, you know, that we're dealing with. That is, that gives you an idea of how long, um, you know, those, <laughs> those stories persist, not just in the history books, but playing out in people's lives. Thanks for listening to this award-winning show. This is truly one of my favorite shows of all times that I've done. The amount of details is not only informative, but also instills a deeper sense of pride in our country. So head over to my website, travelwithanita.com, to hear the whole episode, because I was only able to fit in a few clips. 
but there is more. But thanks for joining me and head over to that website, travelwithanita.com, where you'll find more. Bye-bye. Oh.